Um, does anybody have any listening devices they need on me up here so that they can hear? <laughs> Ronnie? Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, how many of you know what tonight's topic is? That's good. Okay. It's about biblical theology, which I know so much about. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for the laughter because there will be a test when this is over, so take notes, okay? All right. Let's see. Who am I going to pick on first here? Ronnie. There we go. Ronnie. <laughs> tell, tell, me, tell me what you know about biblical theology. Thank you. <laughs> That's the way I was, too. Uh, Robert? Okay. College kids, what do you know, what, what is biblical theology? <laughs> the theology of the Bible. What is the theology of the Bible? Based on Scripture. The primary source, right? How do we know that? And? Scripture's God breathed in what? Bible drill time. It's useful for? Very good. Very good. Okay? <clears throat> How do we know that the Bible's true? Because God tells us so and we believe it by faith. Right? <clears throat> so when you think about biblical theology, Have you ever heard of other theologies like systematic and historical? Okay. Dick, systematical theology. What is that? <laughs> hey, this is wide open tonight, okay? Okay. Okay. Systematic theology. Can you can you get sidetracked on systematic theology by word searching? I mean you have a concordance in the back of your Bible. I do. And if you do a word search in there, you can systematically find scriptures that line up with that word that you're searching. And there will be one uh, word in there or a phrase that contains that word, and it will systematically show you different aspects of the Bible. Okay? Historical theology. What is that? It's in the Bible. You're learning like me. I didn't know this stuff until about 72 hours ago either. Okay? 
<laughs> so, um, historical theology, what is that? What? Scripture? How about people in the Bible? <laughs> people in the in the Bible in the Bible that historically believed what the what the Scripture said throughout history. Okay, that's historical theology. But we can get caught up in a lot of different theologies, and we don't want to do that because that can lead us to moralism. Dangerous for a church to be there. So we want to focus on biblical theology. And as Dick said, biblical theology emphasizes God's progressive revelation of what? Think about the very beginning in Genesis. What did we learn? What happens in Genesis? What? The fall. What happened? We, we know that Eve was responsible. Bible says so, okay? Because Adam said, this woman that you gave me, it's in the Bible. <laughs> no. Adam wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. But I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. How many of you have read the account of Adam and Eve in chapter 3? Okay, we've all read it, right? Now I want you to follow along with me. In fact, I'm going to ask somebody else to read it because your eyes are better than me and I really need that light working right there, but it doesn't work. So, would somebody please pick up somewhere around verse 18? Make that 14. Enmity. Okay. What does enmity mean? Am I pronouncing that right? Sammy. What? Okay, what's strife? I'll tell you what, why don't you just come on up here, Sammy? Just Take a spot right here next to me, okay? <laughs> uh, okay, strife. Not getting along. Enemies, okay? When you first read that little block of Scripture, how many of you uh, identified with, that teaches me that every time I see a snake, it needs to die. <laughs> okay? I'm all about killing snakes. But is that what that scripture is talking about? No, it's not. But that is what I got out of it when I read it the first time. Not now, because we've really had some great teaching by Edward and Josh. And now Jeff's come on board. We've really had some great teaching on this. 
and I'm thankful for it, very thankful. But when you read that, it's very easy to just look at those and get misled and go off on some rabbit trail. And it's not about killing a snake. Even though snakes don't like people, and people don't like snakes. But that's not what that's about. How many of you saw Christ Jesus in that verse? The very first time you read it, Keith. Yes or no? You did see it. <laughs> okay, you'd been taught, had been taught right. But none of us in here saw that, did we? I certainly didn't. But biblical theology takes God's word at the very beginning here and marches us all the way through Revelation. And Christ Jesus is the center point. He is the center focus from beginning to end. And that's what we're to do with the Bible is to read it as one big story with lots of authors with a tremendous amount of smaller stories, but all of them pointing to Christ Jesus as man's only hope. Progressive revelation. Biblical theology is to trace a progressive revelation of God and his saving plan. It also helps us trace the storylines in the Bible. There are multiple stories in here. Somebody say one of your favorites. Huh? Joseph, okay. Where's Jesus in the story of Joseph? How'd that come about? Hey, what? Betrayed by his brothers. How did, what, was his lifestyle, what was his lifestyle like when that happened? It was the worst possible thing a little boy could be going through. It was horrible. But in the end, God exalted him because of what? His obedience. He exalted him because of his obedience. And then what did he do for the nation of Israel? Saved him from starvation. Another story. King Solomon. Okay. Now this is where I'm stumped. I got that one. And I got Samson. But this one I'm, I'm intrigued by. What about Solomon? Where's Jesus in that? Wisdom, okay.
titles was Solomon when he prayed that prayer. Even though those things came, he very humbly asked God for what he needed most of all, and that was wisdom to lead a people, a lot of people. Okay? The lineage. Okay, let's go back go back to Adam and Eve. Follow that lineage. How's that go? Abraham? Then where? There's lots of other people in there. But just just pick out some key ones in that line. When we when we see the story of Abraham, and God telling him, get your stuff, get ready to go. Where am I going? Abraham was being very human, wasn't he? But God said, you're to go. I'll show you where you're going. But in Abraham's lineage, who else came along that was in the lineage of, am I saying that word right? A lot of you are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Okay? <laughs> you know, just like. Anyway, who else is in Abraham's lineage that leads to Jesus? Keep going. Think about all those stories in the Bible now that lead along that line. And when you first started reading the Bible, what did you, what did you see? Did you see the line, the vein running through the Bible of Jesus? No, I didn't. I still have to search for it. The Bible's still very intriguing. Biblical theology also teaches us the value of the unique contributions of the authors. Think about an author of one of the books in the Bible. Somebody pick one. Who? Okay, what about Moses? What did he do? Okay, they are. Mosaic law, okay. What, what about Moses? Where is Jesus in Moses' life? Okay, what else? What else about Moses? Mo Moses was a very unique person in what he wrote. Nobody else wrote like Moses. How about the Gospels? Are the Gospels all unique? Written by four different men, correct? Are they all the same? Same story. Same centerpiece. But different because they were viewed through the eyes of four different men. 
And one of them was written based upon the account given to him by somebody else. But they're all unique. But they all point as at Jesus as being what? <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> as Jesus being what? The Christ? The Redeemer? When you look back at the at in Genesis, we see the fall, right? What else do we see then? What? Okay. Redemption is the third one. What what was the second one? Let me find it. You had sin in the fall, right? Then you had the curse, which was what? Death. Okay? Then you had what? Redemption. And then you had what? Resurrection. All throughout the Bible, starting in Genesis, finishing up in Revelation. How about unity in the Bible? Let's go to the Gospels again. The four Gospels written by four different men. Is there unity in those Gospels? One does not contradict the other. They tell the same story with different people, by different men, but the same story with the same centerpiece. There's unity there. How about some of the books in the Old Testament? Is there unity there? They all follow along. One doesn't go off into left field on the subject of Jesus. They all follow along the same line, the same vein. Nobody could come and take one of these books out of, this, out of God's word and say, this does not fit. They do all fit. When we look at this, we see the story of one God who is committed to saving one people for what? Why is he committed to saving one people? And I, I, many people, but it's specifically one group of people. Why? For his glory. Because he made promises, did he not? He made covenants. He doesn't break promises. And, it, and, it's for, and it's for his glory. Crystal-centric. <laughs> I saw those college eyes go, what? What did I just say? Okay. Go ahead, Zane. Christ-centered what? What? Biblical theology is what? Centered on Christ and Christ alone. 
That word, when I first heard it a while back, I didn't understand it. Obviously, I'm not college educated. I don't know if any of you get it in our college that we have here in downtown Stevenville. <laughs> You're looking at me over the top of your glasses. Yeah. Okay. You're not going to hear that here, I don't believe. But this is what Tim Keller says. There are two ways to read the Bible. The one way to read the Bible is that it's basically about you, what you have to do in order to be right with God, in which case you'll never have a sure and certain hope because you'll always know you're not quite living up. How many of you got that when you first started reading the Bible as an unbeliever? I saw it as a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. And no matter what I did, it didn't outweigh the don'ts. It didn't outweigh what I shouldn't be doing because I couldn't keep from doing what I shouldn't be doing no matter how hard I tried. You'll never be sure about that future. I wasn't. I was scared of the future. Or you can read it as all about Jesus. Every single thing is not about what you must do in order to make yourself right with God, but what he has done to make you absolutely right with God. What he has done that we cannot do. That is the only way that you're going to find peace. And when he wrote that, he was writing that to people that read the Bible to try and do what the Bible says without realizing who Christ really is and who what Christ really did. It, it makes it about us and what we can do to earn God's approval. How essential is biblical theology for our Christian worldview today? Okay. What is Satan very good at? Definitely, okay. But very subtly lying. He did it with Eve. And what did he say to Eve in the garden? He what? Okay. We, okay, we see it as being twisted. But the way Blake just said it, he did what? Right. And what was that revelation that God gave Adam? What, what did Satan play on right there that he plays on us today about? Contradicts everything, but 
did they not have enough? Was there not enough in the garden already? Thank you. And when he made her think that she was missing out on something, she acted accordingly to attain what she, was, what she thought she was missing out on. Eve did not have the Bible to go by, but we do. Yet we can fall very easily into that trap. And we can also fall into that trap as a church. Biblical theology is e essential to the health of the church. Otherwise, the church will become extremely off-center. Christ will not be the focus. But the things that the church is capable of doing will become the focus. Can we be about missions and not be Christ-centered? Oh, you bet. Because we can say very subtly to ourselves, look at us go. Look at all that we're doing. So biblical theology not only leads us to worship, but it helps protect the church so that it may worship and worship properly. Um, have you ever been in a church that is a proof-testing church? <laughs> proof-testing. Hmm, what's that mean? Huh? No, <laughs> no. Proof testing is where you go around using scripture to prove a point. Texting, excuse me. Yes, yes, this is in my own handwriting. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, proof texting. There we go. Now, see, if I'd have said texting, you'd all be thinking, okay, what are, what are we doing on our phones? <laughs> okay, proof texting. What, what does that mean to you? Okay. All right. Can you do that when you word search? Okay. Can we do that by doing word searches in the in our concordance and then lining all those scriptures up and going, "By gosh, this is what it means." You bet we can. I've been in churches that have done that. So here's what proof texting looks like. When we use the Bible to prove our point without regard for the context of the passage. In other words, making it about us, for us, 
so that we get our point across. Proof texting reads meaning into a passage instead of reading the meaning out of the passage. You all get that? I'll say it again. Proof texting reads meaning into a passage instead of reading meaning out of the passage. Please share. <laughs> okay. What's that all about? <laughs> right. <laughs> and just, just think of all the different verses that can be taken out of context to make our point to fit what we want God to be, what we want God to do. Proof texting is easy because you don't have to do the serious and careful and prayerful work of understanding the author's intended meaning. Remember all these books that have all these scriptures in them? They're written by men, right? Who were what? Inspired by God. And if they were inspired by God, there was a meaning of that scripture that we are to adhere to and not take that scripture and make it to what we want it to be. This is a serious problem because those who teach God's word to God's people should proclaim it as one who speaks oracles of God in order that God would receive the glory through Jesus Christ. Instead of laboring to study the text and humbly giving <clears throat> heed to the divinely inspired meanings, Preachers should strive by God's grace to rightly handle the word of God. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's in what book? Second Timothy, that's right. Proof texting tampers with God's word. It distorts and deceives. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul said, we will not do that. We're going to adhere to what the scriptures mean. When God inspired the men to write them. And that's what we are to do as a church too. So that we are biblical in our theology. And then there's another one. It's called moralism. What's moralism? I can't hear you. What? Okay. Somebody else? Okay. Somebody else? 
Okay? Is that not what I was doing when I was looking at the Bible and trying to do all the do's and keep away from doing the don'ts? I was trying to morally live by what the Bible said. It's impossible. The only way it's possible to live the way the Bible says is how? Tammy, a little louder. Who is what? He's the centerpiece in the Bible. And the only way I can live for Christ is to know about Christ and to realize what he has done for me. He did everything. Because nothing I can do can attain or gain any of it. It's already been taken care of. We are a nation, though, and this is the way I was raised, that nothing's for free. you got to earn it. It's in your job. College, it's coming. You're gonna, if you're not working already, you're going to step out there one of these days and you're going to find out that you got to work hard. And I know you're working hard in school. I know that. Otherwise, you'll never graduate. But you're going to have to uh, work hard to attain or to earn your paycheck. I, I have yet to find a job where somebody gave me money just because of who I am. That is the mindset that we're in, though, when we hear about salvation. What do I have to do to earn it? My wife struggled with that more than anything else as an unbeliever. She could not grasp what Jesus had done for her. Could not grasp it. Because it had been pounded into her and her brother sitting here tonight, and it was pounded into them as a family by a father. And when Kay and Art and Woody came to the saving knowledge that it was already taken care of, it's an extremely humbling spot that we weren't used to being in. And not many people are. But if you study the Bible and you read cover to cover, or even if it's just a book, and you look for the line, for the vein in there about Christ, you'll find it. And the more you read it, the more you'll realize what he has done, what he has already taken care of. I'm going to go back to moralism. Preaching steeped in moralism merely highlights the positive or negative character qualities in a biblical figure for the purpose of behavior modification. Now, when I hear behavior modification, that is liberal psychobabble to me. That's just my own term, okay? When I hear that, behavior modification, that's what your parents are trying to do to your kids. <laughs> Modify their behavior. That's moralism. Trying to do 
the things the Bible says to do and not do the things the Bible says not to do. Moralism motivates listeners to improve behavior, but does so by undercutting the gospel. This is the problem because, as we've seen, Scripture is not primarily a behavior modification program. It's not. It's about falling falling in love with the Savior that gave his life willingly for you. Nothing you do can ever repay that. It is from beginning to end, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, which we'll just look through. So the good news of the gospel isn't moral self-improvement. The call for pastors and teachers is to proclaim Christ. All scripture is able all scripture is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So no matter what passage you're teaching, you aren't finished until you make clear how the passage points to and exalts Jesus. And that's what you've seen done in this church in the pulpit week after week. The difference between expository preaching and making a point, a problem in the church that happens to be going on right now, and by gosh, we're going to take scripture and we're going to make it line up. And it's done in thousands and thousands of churches. So the last thing I want to say, Biblical theology helps us see the glory of God throughout scriptures more clearly. And as we see God's sovereign plan of redemption unfold in the single unified story of the Bible, as we see his wise and loving hand guiding all of history to bring it to his intended goal for his glory. That is the best I can do on biblical theology. Edward, I'll let you close. Come up and add anything you want to add to it. <laughs>